welcome friends and enemies to a very special episode of Roll Up. I finally said the title of the actual podcast. I only found out last week. <laughs> we have almost everybody here for a question and answer campaign wrap up session sort of thing that I feel we deserve. So we have Simon. Hello. We have Jess. We have Catherine. Hello. And we have Adam. Bonjour. Oh, we don't have Ed because he had to work. So I have his questions. We might get to them. We'll see. So we finished the campaign, folks. What? Almost it's a trick. Wait, what? Wait, what? Last week was the last one. What? I thought we were doing. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I thought this was all just the prologue. This was yeah. all special intro. Oh, oh. <laughs> sugar. Okay, I need to rethink some. Just my backstory, Michael. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, so we're doing a god campaign. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, like we already have two gods in the group, so <laughs> one god, one person at the hand of God, and one spirit. Not the same thing, mm. I don't think. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So almost six years of playing, over a hundred sessions of three hours plus each ish. Currently over 6,000 listens on SoundCloud, which is wild to me. We did it, folks. We got there. We got to level 15, and it was only our second attempt at D&D. That feels weird. So I'm going to hand over to Catherine for the first question. The big, carefully thought yeah, out yeah. opening question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Are you ready, folks? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, is this going to be really like specific? Like in episode 59, when we encountered Squidger McNigel. I don't even <laughs> I know when I wrote this. I question. would love that. That would be great. <laughs> For context, this is the only question I had on my question sheet before tonight. And I thought I had loads. Turns out I just wrote one and I don't even know when it was. <laughs> it says, Michael, what do points of corruption mean or do? That's the first question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was quite fairly recent, really, because that was when you were in hell. Yeah, that was hell. points of corruption as an Azamar. So I assume okay. if you'd been... I'm going to let Michael do it because he will know. No, but no, you, you, you theorise. Theorise, the I don't time, know. my thought was you'd become, like... Because there are fallen Azamar, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I assumed that would have... If you'd been fully corrupted, you would have been a fallen Azamar. Don't know much about the law. Probably really edgy. Kind of into that, you know. Emos are coming back. Michael Coromance is on tour again. The apparently is fantastic. They've done a new song. It's great. Done a new single. I'm here for it. We're not Fair spot- way. <laughs> yeah. That would be the weirdest sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying, Jess, is that one point of corruption is basically a plus one to edge lordiness. Yeah, basically, that would be my assumption. Which Michael may or may not disagree. Plays it. Plays in edge lord. Plays yeah. into your wheelhouse, Catherine. It so. really does. It's like it was made for me. <laughs> so. A point of corruption, essentially, once you get to three points of corruption, it changes your alignment. So initially it would shift it to neutral if you were good, and then it would shift it to evil from neutral if you got three more. And so it would basically mean that you had to change the way that your character acted. And that would be so difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's a slightly strange mechanic, but I thought it was interesting because you were in hell that there was this possibility, particularly with you being an Azamar and 
the ramifications of being fallen Asimar and all that kind of stuff and being a very sought after person in hell, given your celestial nature, then the others could have got corrupted as well. But for you, it was particularly interesting because there was that possibility of you almost falling and becoming the fallen angel instead. And was that mechanic that already exists? Or just, I think that it was created by Matthew Mercer. I believe I may be wrong, but he certainly employed it in Critical Role before. Mm. And I just thought that it was an interesting thing, particularly with going to hell briefly. What did you picture that as, sort of physically, when one acquires a point of corruption? Well, I think I described it as the time as the veins going black, because the thing with Erelor a lot of the time was that her magic, or particularly the radiance, was that her veins would shine and go nova almost. It was the idea that there was something spreading through her bloodstream that was making the light in her change. Um, so yeah, it was very much a, a veiny kind of thing. And eventually it would spread to the eye and the eye would go black and the hair would go black. And, you know, her wings would then, well, she would get wings because in her current Asimar form, she's not able to fly, but the fallen Asimar as a mechanical thing gets like skeletal wings. Yeah, it shows um, one type of Asimar angel it people. still wouldn't be able to fly because it... <laughs> No lift. (laughs) No, the fallen Azamar cannot fly because they're skeletal and almost veil of skin. So yeah, it wouldn't have done that, but it can do an aura of fear. So mechanically, it would have been interesting and it would have been interesting for you to have to do that, but difficult. Yeah, I think, you know, because that shift and alignment is a funny thing anyway. I don't really like it as an easy solve for some things, but yeah, it was just an interesting possibility. I mean, that version of Erinor, I sort of see, Michael, we've talked a bit about the almost parallel Erinor of if decisions had gone differently and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is the version that I think of, you know. The yeah. Version. yeah, and there were a couple of times where you did face off against a version of yourself from a different timeline. Like in the solo campaign we did, there was an encounter between the other party and their darker versions of themselves and... Then, obviously, when you went to fight the custodian, there was the different things of your worst fears or your greatest enemies or whatever it was. And Erelor's was herself, which you all found very funny at the time. <laughs> but yeah, it was that kind of dark. And then there was the wink in the window, I think, at the tavern at one point, where time was going a little bit strange and you saw your own reflection and it did something different. And that was kind of foreshadowing the custodian thing, but also the thing of... Erinor could make a choice that results in her falling, essentially. Speaking of alignment, mm. I would say Juniper's alignment probably... Chaotic influ- Q? No, influenced by role-playing zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But out of interest, what were everyone's alignments for their characters? Like, I literally <laughs> had to go on my character sheet, yeah, I know. I was thinking, I was like, wait, what the fuck is my alignment? So I had to literally go on my character sheet and I had written it down. Don't know why I did Apparently mine I, is neutral good. Oh, so Most boring of options. Yeah. Neutral my, good. my alignment is less interesting than one of my very strong convictions with, for the character, which none of you triggered, luckily. Oh, we can get to that. <laughs> well, I'm writing we can, that on my list. I'll tell you now. I'm just going to find yeah. it on D&D Beyond. Elsie was chaotic good, and okay. I'm sure that Thelios was lawfully good. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paladin. It's a bit weird if he wasn't, to be honest. Yeah, typical paladin. Yeah. I was neutral good with the two caveats that if any of you had done anything that would have harmed 
nature or the environment in any vast way than hands and also if we'd ever gone up against any sort of air elemental I would have switched sides oh that, that, that kind of very conveniently <laughs> follows through to a question mm. did we ever stop all four of the princes yes yeah you did you basically faced off against the fire cult and the earth cult and the water cult quite early you faced the fire prophet, the water prophet, and the earth prophet, and you defeated them before they could bring anything through. And then the air, you obviously went up to the high ice and fought the prince itself, which was the Yancy Bin Jin. That was the prince that came through. And then you fought the wilderness as well. Was that in there? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's that was the end. Oh, okay. That was the end. Well, oh, you, that was you didn't. You died. Oh God! You didn't, you, yes, you didn't technically no, you didn't die. In a very Adam. biblical oh, okay. sense, you ascended rather li- than died. Yeah, I've literally just had flashbacks now to portal and closing and moths, mm. and now I'm because in my head I was like, I swear we never completed all four of the princes because obviously water, earth, and fire all in very much quick succession because I think we just accidentally took the right turns in the feign of the eye and it was like oh look a prince oh look you're dead too and then I just couldn't remember for the life of me of doing the air prince or prophet yeah well so it's interesting because obviously this was a mix of a written adventure and then homebrew stuff after it Mm. you'd kind of done the first three prophets in the first 20 odd episodes or something ridiculous and I think there was a little bit of luck I think there was a little bit of oh okay they seem to be going through these folks quite quickly in terms of facing off against the princes and things and I think that was maybe a little bit of inexperience on my part but it's also because the prophets were easier than the princes Mm -hmm. if they had brought the princes through at that point you probably would not have succeeded Mm-hmm. because they were so tough and so it was me not rubber banding it in the sense of not bringing the princes through but you managed to get to the particular points in time that it meant that they weren't able to bring them through and I think there was a little bit of arrogance on the part of some of the prophets where they were like who are these fuckers you know what are these people doing they don't even know what's going on but I do feel like that we were looking in some respects that by chance we did figure out that they each have their own magical weapon, which yeah. is part of bringing the prophets through. And if the portal's there, and if we do something with the weapon with the portal, that usually stops the portal. And yeah, the air one was a spear. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. I'm, I'm then, all kind of remembering now. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole thing with the air cult, the whole reason they were later is because we'd started to go into other plot lines. And then it was the thing of, well, but there is still this air cult out there and Isolde slash the lady has manipulated these people. And then it was that she was actually captured by the air cult and she's the the wizard who disappeared in Silvermoon on the bridge. She was the prisoner that they were transporting and then she managed to escape. And it was the whole thing of you being directed north and then obviously it tied into the wilderness, which tied into Errolor's backstory and which tied into Flint's backstory and things because those two things crossed over. And it was also the timey-wimey things going on that the fact that the wilderness had been freed and then slipped back through time and then been the thing that was on the high ice for so, so long because time was broken and all that kind of stuff. So it was, yeah, it was weaving 
things that was pre-written back into and you never went to the air temple or anything you went to Feathergale Spire but it was deserted by that point and you didn't go into the air temple that was underneath connected to the fane of the eye or anything like that because by that point other stuff was going on cool okay structural question that mm. again links quite nicely off of that <laughs> would be at what point or when in a span of time did you start to move away from the initial book and with the actions that we took was there anything from the book like the resulting consequences if we'd done things differently that were written down on page was there anything that you wish had happened or would have done differently Mm. i think we started moving away around episode 20 ish because that's when you went back to Waterdeep and you met the boar and you went into the sewers and all that kind of stuff. So it was quite early. And I think it's because we dived into a couple of players in and some of them weren't there sometimes and all that kind of stuff that it just meant that it was almost easier for us to lean out of the book. And I think some of the content of the book wasn't that great, to be honest, in terms of the enjoyment of it. And I loved your backstory so much that I kind of wanted to delve into those quite early. I don't think there's anything that I regret us not doing from the book particularly mainly because the fane of the eye was connected to everything and you going back into the fane of the eye after already doing it two or three times was a little bit like okay right why and i thought that it was easier to weave it into where you were already maybe going or that you'd be drawn into it because they'd moved and it was a new place and it linked with Thelios because it was going through Yartar and all that sort of stuff. And then it, it linked with Erelor because you were going to the high ice. So yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that I maybe should have done differently was that we went into Flint's backstory quite quickly and Ed had only just joined the group then. So I feel like it was maybe a little bit of a trial by fire on his part that he was having to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the role play and things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it just kind of made sense because of where the ball was and Sydney being involved and the kidnapping taking you into the Undermountain. So yeah, an interesting structural thing. And it was the whole idea of introducing the lady that early because she was such an important figure. And I wanted a reaction to her, whether she was villainous in your eyes or not. And it seemed quite early on that she was. And then I think the nuance started to come in quite a lot later, but it was important to me to bring her in that early because then it's this thing of the longer arc of the mystery and it perhaps being more satisfying that it's like oh okay we're finding little bits out about her as we go and then it turns out that she's this incredibly important figure in the world and in Erelor's life right at the end I'm not a massive fan of slow burn but that one was one of the things where I was like I can eke out bits of information gradually whilst having all of this in mind Catherine you've raised your hand Yes, I have. <laughs> Can I ask another question or are we taking it? Then? Happy for us to go. To follow on. Yeah. Really super generic question, but did the narrative go in a direction that you expected it to? How much of it was specifically planned and how much? I mean, I have a separate question, which is kind of like this, but this is a very broad strokes. How much was the end game where you expected it to be? Yeah, I mean... I think you and I have kind of discussed this before a little bit in terms of the one missed session that you had. Yeah. Basically leading to the timey-wimey stuff, essentially, and the whole wild magic thing, and that basically being the crux of the main thing. Um, It more or less followed what I thought it would because we hit everybody's backstory, not necessarily in the order that I was not expecting, but that 
I'd always planned for. It was just where you'd maybe ended up. I've spoken to a couple of you before about maybe feeling like I railroaded you at some points, but there were some reactions to having open world options, particularly in Ardrathan, which was the first arc that was very much our own and disconnected from anything to do with the Temple of Elemental Evil stuff, where it was like, okay, we've got this big elven city. Where do we go? And I was sort of like, well, there's a house here and there's this here and there's these people here. And you were all like, uh, I don't, mm, where? So after that, I was sort of like, oh, okay, maybe there needs to be a little bit more direction from me in that sense. In terms of the eventual end point, I think I'd had that in place for a long, long time. And because Flint came in having had the vision of Horolia's Hall straight away, and that was around episode 18, I think. And I'd had the idea of this goddess of lost time and Horolia is based on horologists who are people who study time and keep time. And so, yeah, I, I think there are a few things that I didn't necessarily plan for all that time back. Like Eileen's introduction was a quite late thing. The whole thing of Jess's and Juniper's dad, like his facility. I knew that the Beholder was kind of the thing that had actually created Juniper and was her actual dad. Yeah, yeah. My, as in Jessica's actual dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, so that it's kind of a mix of both, if that makes sense, in that I had broad strokes outlined. And then when we got to the nitty gritty, I was like, well, it kind of makes sense that Kibroder is in a different plane because he's got all this cloning technology and he's got this weird moving facility and all that kind of stuff. And the story was plane hopping anyway, so it kind of made sense and fed into that. But yeah, in terms of the final encounter and Rue, that idea was quite early because obviously we were playing your campaign then and she featured in that. And then the whole thing of you meeting your mother at the end and her revealing that she was the manipulating hand to a certain degree, that was very, very early on. Does that answer the question? Yes. Can I ask yeah. a follow-up question? Yes, of course you can. And then I've got a question for you all that connects. So that's the big unexpected pathways. What are some, or are there any, small surprises, small unexpected moments from, I guess, us and the story? But I don't know, was there any times when we made little choices or had little moments which were surprising for you? Oh, God, so many. I think... <sighs> Even though he did it a lot, I think Lorafel's constant need to go off on his own into utter danger was always like, okay. It worked Ooh. out so well. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, um, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. Of the hundred times he did it, it only failed once. Yeah, it only has to fail once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he did nearly die at one point early on where he fought off some things on his own. Nearly. And then he came back. I think you were on maybe like two or three hit points. Wasn't that when he was fighting some fire goblins or something? Yeah. And literally there were three of them. And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then the rest of us came along. It was like, oh, great. He's almost dead. <laughs> Wasn't it when he was still doing experience points from defeating so Simon was just like I'm gonna get more points than everyone else (laughs) I swear to god that was not the thought process at all (laughs) I feel feel like that was a direct quote Simon (laughs) (laughs) I think this was before the quote does not mean thought process (laughs) (laughs) that and I think Juniper's necromancy just as a thing was fascinating (laughs) just it was a choice and I really enjoyed it 
a lot of Juniper's and Jess's creative choices are so well developed. Oh, good. <laughs> but, but kind of, you can see the thread, but when you're actually saying it, it's like, what the hell? Where did this come from? And then it's like, oh yeah, I can do this. And you're like, of course you can. Why would I think otherwise? I think there are a lot of those, like the polymorphing, the Bahir, and then putting it in the back of a holding. Genius. Didn't anticipate that. Thought it was going to be a really difficult fight. And then was just like, oh, I'll just stuff it in the bag and it'll suffocate. It'll be fine. I think... Oh, I'm trying to think of other things. I think Elsie's assault on Lord Neverember's estate to get her sister back was like, okay, we're doing that. That's fine. I think as well, a couple of really nice ones, particularly from the end game with Erelor, was her interaction with Aid and that he was the nervous one. And then she was just like, well, no, I'm going to kiss him. I'm going to hold his hand and all that sort of stuff. And then him basically just being like, yeah, you know, I think I'm in love with you, but... I know you have to do this. And the final decision and it not really being an agonising choice at all. It was just the fact that in terms of the arc, it was perfect because Errolor had been the one who questioned herself a lot and been like, folks, what do you think about this idea? I don't know. And then obviously had her magic questioned by some of the members of the group as well. And then for Flint to turn around and go, so there's no discussion. And Errolor was just like, no, because I'd really worried about that whole ending because I was thinking, am I taking Catherine's agency away by making her part of the gods? Does it mean that it would diminish any epilogue that you wanted to do? And then the fact that for you, it was so simple made me feel like I'd done a good job, if that makes sense. Because it was this thing of, for me, it had built to that. And that was kind of the point of particularly the final arc and all of the timey-wimey stuff. And to me, it made sense, but I was really worried where I was like, does it actually make any sense? Or have I convinced myself that this is the story? You know, you kind of think as a writer or as a DM or whatever in the creative process, it's the thing of going, are there plot holes in this? Can I fill them in? Does this make sense to everybody else? And the fact that you just made that choice really reassured me. But again, I was really surprised by it because I was like, am I just forcing her into a box that she doesn't want to be forced into? And hopefully I wasn't. Does that answer the question? Yes. Great. Someone Uh, else can have a turn now. Okay, well, I'm going to ask a thing. In terms of your characters, are there any missed opportunities from your side that you think about in terms of the things that you wanted to do, abilities that you wanted to use, or things that you wanted to pursue that you didn't get to? Adam? Pretty much just being able to see this through with Thelios, I think. Very much towards the end, there were just times where it was just like, oh, you were here, you know. And yeah, and also to have not been there when the group went through my backstory and all kind of bits like that, which was obviously very much not long after I'd gone, but because of that circumstance, yeah, I almost feel like that there's the last couple of pages of a book that I've not been able to finish reading, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's not to say that I've not enjoyed playing Elsie by any stretch of of imagination. You know, she's definitely been a hoot. But to be honest, it was a question that I was going to ask Simon. If there had been an opportunity to bring Laurafell back, would you? Or were you quite content playing Saluk and this new character? I don't think I would have brought him back because I feel that would have cheapened the death. 
mm. feel like with a game like this, you've got to respect the rules. And if it of happens, course, yeah. happens you roll with the narrative beats that that brings. So no, if that had happened, no, I wouldn't mm-hmm. choose to bring him back. I would have liked to not have died. I feel pretty much the same as you. I enjoyed playing as Saluk, but with him coming in with so much of the story and the relationships already established and with the plot already well underway, it was a lot more difficult to make those connections. And I feel like Saluk was a more fleshed out individual character than Laurafell ever became. But I don't feel he tied into the group or the plot as mm. well. Yeah, just never figured out the dynamic properly. But there were moments I feel like I really enjoyed his relationship mm. with Jennifer, for example. And I felt like there were some really nice exchanges that he was able to have with well, all of you at individual times. But I think if I had had a choice and had avoided that death, it would have been really nice to finish it all with the one character and see where mm. at the end. But yeah, I guess in terms of missed opportunities, not so much from anything that I didn't get to do afterwards or, you know, any events I wish he'd been at or any abilities he didn't use. I think more missed opportunities from what we did do. I felt like I struggled to get a grasp of what he was about through being new to the game as a whole, really. Balancing the role-playing that you're trying to do against the mechanics of it. How do you make someone that's narratively consistent and yet also has to go along with whatever the DM as the story master decides and whatever the group decides as well. How do you reconcile all of those things, you know, and stay with a group, for example, if that wouldn't be what you would do? I don't know. It felt like a lot of moving chairs around and not so much retconning, but recontextualizing his character and his opinions on things Mm. in order to facilitate it to all continue, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think he didn't die he just got taken by the theatre. So you could have gone back and got him. But, hey, I, think, but I think events <laughs> kind of got away. And obviously there was the whole Farrelling thing with the infinite and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, I think because it was a year later thing and you had said to me, Simon, oh yeah, I think he goes looking for his parents in the area where they disappeared in Feywild and all that sort of stuff because he wanted to see them. And obviously they'd maybe separated from the elves that had gone into the Feywild and things. And you said, and maybe he gets tempted to go in, but he doesn't go in. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. And then you bumped into a couple of people coming out of the Feywild who turned out to be very important later on, because the two half-elves that you met were Enna and Lucan. And then you went into the Feywild. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I thought he said he he was going to be tempted and then not go in. And you just kept... Yes, ending. And I was like, okay, mm. I guess we're going to the theatre. This is not a good thing. But I forget the specifics of it, but looking back, I do genuinely feel like that wasn't me, Simon, making a decision to mm. just like, oh, this will be fun. I genuinely was thinking, you know, yeah, I think he would. There's a lot at stake here. He's come all this way. And despite any development he's made, I feel like his flaws of pushing onward would sway him if it meant finding his family. So, yeah. Yeah. It turned out, the only way it could, except for the dice rolls, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Who did um, Anna and Lucan work for? Ah, so hmm. this touches on something that I told you to remind me about, which is the Mist Feywild excursion, which was at the end of the Ardrathan arc, the Moon Elves of Ardrathan started to go into the Feywild or go their separate ways. You could have gone with them into the Feywild and you would have encountered 
the denizens of the Unseelie Court. Now, the Unseelie Court is the slightly more unpleasant side of the Fae, with the Queen of Air and Darkness and the Moon King and various other people. And when bringing these to them, they could have made an offer... And the Queen of Air and Darkness, because of Thelios' connection to the gods, would have been very interested in him and corrupting him, and so would have offered a boon for bringing these moon elves safely into her domain. And if Thelios had accepted, that could have led to some issues with his god and his now maybe allegiance to this individual who is... Not the best in terms of niceness. She and her husband would have been other members of the court of the lady. They would have had their own titles, which would have been the fool. And I can't remember what the Queen of Air and Darknesses would have been. I think it was something like the Duchess or something. And so it would have led to a little bit more political intrigue on that side of things because the Queen of Air and Darkness didn't like being subservient to the lady. But the whole thing of Tamisa and her doing this thing for the Queen of Air and Darkness was essentially she was freeing this elven city in order to free her friends Enna and Lucan, who the Queen had trapped in order to get her to do this job for her, essentially. So the reason that Tamisa was investigating Ardrathan was on their behalf to get Lucan and Enna free. And then obviously that happened a little bit later, presumably because the Queen of Air and Darkness had reneged on the deal somewhat and then finally set them free way later. So yeah, that was one of the things of a possible arc that I think would have been very interesting. And I imagine she would have had a deep interest in a lot of the rest of you as well. Juniper in particular, because of her fey, corgi nature. Erelor, because of the wild magic and the Asimar situation. Lorethel, because of what he'd done in Ardrathan and everything. So it was one of those missed opportunities just born of the fact that you just didn't go into the Feywild. world. You know, you were like, no, we, I feel like our job's done, bye. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But yeah, I think that would have maybe put a little bit more of political intrigue side to the campaign. And then there was the music when you did eventually go into the Feywild through Plane Shift and everything and the going through hell and all that kind of stuff. And there was the music that was going on in the distance that you were then like, we're not going close to that. That's not happening. We're going the other direction. But if you had waited around or if you'd gone towards it you would have found some little creatures called corrids which are tiny dwarf and they've got long hair and long beards if they're male or female they look pretty much the same and their hair animates and can grab things and they are very curious and friendly and mischievous and it would have been interesting for you to encounter them and see what you made of them and what happened but you were just like music in the fey world i don't think so we're not falling for this So yeah, so that was another one where it was like, okay, you won't bump into that, that's fine. And I think I remember on that one in particular, Catherine, you were like, yeah, I don't think we should go near to that, but also I'm really curious about what that is. So it was a kind of slightly red button moment of, do you go towards it or do you want, and you were like, no, I think, I think, I think we go away. Right. Anybody got a question burning or should I ask another one? I don't think everybody's answered your question. Mm. Oh. (laughs) What was it again? (laughs) Oh, the like missed opportunity one. Yeah, to uh, your character or powers that you didn't have to use. Or that sort oh, of I just wish I could have used reality break and it'd be successful one time. Yeah. That would have been nice. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. 
I feel like I made the most of a lot of my abilities. I've always felt like the Unleash Divine, whatever it's called, has so much potential and mechanically is not that good. <laughs> so I wish I could have used it more, but it's just not. Yeah, I have similar feelings about Animate Dead and stuff. It has, I guess, for probably balance reasons, but you can't just animate a dragon skeleton, which would have been pretty cool, or that kind of thing. You are very limited in how often you can do it and how long it takes. So you can't do it in the middle of a battle because it takes a few minutes and other things. So you're sort of limited there. I did have the reincarnation spell, which would have been fun to use, but nobody died. So I was like, oh, okay. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got it maybe when I reached level 15. I was just like, well, we're in the game game now. I might have that. Uh, so yeah, reincarnate. So someone literally could have died and been reincarnated. And that's a fun spell because you get to roll about what species they'll be. Oh. Yeah, it can change. the same. No, it yeah. can change what their body is and their yeah. lifespan yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you just need stuff worth at least a thousand gold. I definitely had over a thousand gold. So if anyone had died, they could have had a really interesting I also, I did use Dream a couple of times, but as we got to the end game, it didn't really become that useful, especially once time stopped and everything. But it would have been fun to just randomly dream walk if I'd had it earlier. Like, I'm in your dreams. Yeah. I feel like you would just use it to chat to us. While yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that just we're just like, wasted man, I just want eight hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Juniper's like, hey. <laughs> you just appear in your dream like Yoda on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, now you mentioned it. There is one ability I wish we got far enough to use. Was if Salute could reach level 17, he would have got Quivering Palm, which is absolute game breaker, where all I have to do is strike a creature with just an unarmed strike. And then I can set up vibrations in their body, which I don't think they can stop me doing. And then basically I can just spend another action to kill them. <laughs> Is that a once a day thing? Yeah, but there's nothing they can do to stop it. I set up these vibrations last for days. I don't know how long it is. It's not a saving throw. I I will read it to you. At 17th level, you gain the ability to set up lethal vibrations in someone's body. When you hit a creature with an unarmed strike, you can spend three key points to start these imperceptible vibrations, which last for a number of days equal to your monk level, 17 days when you first get it. The vibrations are harmless unless you use your action to end them. To do so, you and the target must be on the same plane of existence. (laughs) When you use this action, the creature must have a constitution saving throw if it fails it's reduced to zero hit point if it succeeds it takes 10 d10 necrotic so you do the saving throw after how many long but days like, so you but, couldn't kill them instantly in the battle right it's like no, a no, oh, no, you, you no. could do it in the battle the next action but you okay. could also do it 20 days later when you've yeah. been so i you could, could set them up and be like threaten someone and be like do this job for me Otherwise, yeah. I will yeah. kill you because yeah. if you don't appear yeah. back in time. Yeah. Or like, yeah, literally go up to the big bad and go thwack and then be like, you've been a bad boy. Don't do anything for 20 days or I'll kill you from across the continent. And then we got 20 days to do what we want and unmake him. And then <laughs> we should have done that too, um... shift. I, I didn't like, oh, <laughs> We were two levels away. Like... Should have done it to Manchun. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he deserved it. I think bards don't get anything crazy that much when they're high level. Like that's the interesting thing I think about D&D classes. Like some of them, you get to level 20 and it's like, this is a god. They are a yeah. god now. And then I think for bards, it's like, oh, your bardic inspiration is pretty good. <laughs> yep. You know um, a lot of stuff. Yep. Great. Yeah, I my 20th level thing is that I just basically don't age. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I regret being a monk. And I can do two spells in one turn twice a day, which is pretty cool. I think what I've learned from playing a fighter and a monk is that classes are a bit boring. I think the fun of D and D is elves. So the eldritch knight part of Laura Fels, the fun bit where you get to go through the book and pick your spells and you can like you guys and you can use them in all of these different scenarios and you know because it, i just think that's a lot more versatile there's a lot more possibility space in using that both in and out of combat how many situations were there when we'd just be in the environment solving a puzzle or trying to get somewhere and somebody's cantrip would come in useful and there's less of that with a monk you know oh yeah totally looking back in hindsight there is so much of Thelios's kit that I just did not use to the best of my ability. But <laughs> that is quite possibly because for a big part of it, I probably didn't fully understand it myself. So now having six years worth of D&D experience, there are so many bits where it's like, oh, yeah, I can't even remember, you know, when Divine Smite and being able just to add on 4D8s to any standard attack, like, why the hell did I not use? Because obviously at the beginning, you only have two or three. So it was like, oh, well, I don't want to use it too much because I don't know when my next long rest is going to be. But at the end of the day, I should have just been, even if it was like, oh, I've used all of my spells. Okay, Divine Smite, bash, bash. So yeah, following on from you, Simon, is, is that I do, both Lorethel and Thelios were fighters, but they did have those kind of magical aspects that made them that little bit more interesting than rather going, punch. Oh, you're dead. Bye. It was a big difference between can punch really good and can bend all of space and time. Yes. So kind of, uh, so I mean, I never really played 40, but I think a big part of 40 was like basically everyone was magic. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know. But everyone hated that for some reason. So who knows? Wasn't 4E to maths as well? They added I think there so was much... a lot of maths yeah, in They 40, added in which... so much maths and they were like, why? But everybody had daily abilities or abilities after a short rest that were like magical and things. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't want more maths in 5E. Not that I think it's particularly math heavy, but... It doesn't need more. No. Yeah. It's not my idea of a good time to do loads of sums. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, I have a question for all of you. What was your, not your own anybody else's character who was your favorite you're asking us to choose favorite other characters yeah that's so mean you can't do that i just sounds like somebody's worried they won't get any votes no (laughs) i don't think i want to answer that it's not fair you don't don't have to you can all refuse if you want to but jess is juniper yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. the thing. I feel like we're all just going to choose that, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm very flattered, but you don't have to choose. Um, <laughs> there are definitely other options. I wish I was a better role player. There are so many moments where I do look back and especially playing early Elsie, there were so many times where I would respond and it was like, oh, that is so much more of a Thelios response. But then that's because a lot of Thelios' responses were just my responses. There were a good few times where I did feel that things happened because I wanted them to happen rather than the character wanting them to happen if that makes sense. Like kicking Laurel in the back and him falling in the river. Yeah, that wasn't a particularly paladin thing to yeah, do. Yeah, would never have done that, but Adam wanting to kick Simon into a river, 
yeah, I think that might want to happen at some point, you know. You have to remember, Adam, especially in the early days, we were playing for the first time, really. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, the important thing is that you're having a good time. And Mm. if that means doing something that Adam wants to do, then that's kind of... Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) I, I don't begrudge it in any way. But I think I remember when Ed first started and I was just like... What is going on here? Yeah, when he, voices, when, when, when he pulled out the accent and yeah. When he yeah. pulled out the accent and obviously knowing Ed from previously before, obviously, you know, he was introduced and what a lot. I knew that that's kind of the person that he was. He is quite method in that respect. But it was that moment where I was like, oh, shit, I don't do that. Yeah. Do I need to do that? But like... then, then again, I think to be a good role player, I think you have to find a good balance between mm. embodying the character but also playing the game. Yeah. Because I have had occasions in this and other games where I'm like, shit, my view of the character of how they would react to the situation is so narrow that I can't respond in a way that I think would fully drive things forward. And I'm just like, oh man, ah. So I think you do have to step outside the character and go, well, maybe I will slightly adjust their perspective. I mean, there was one part with Flint where he basically ended up having so many levels of exhaustion. Oh yeah. 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 And yeah, and that was due to sort of very in-character choices. But obviously D&D isn't really set up to accommodate those sort of character choices it becomes very punishing. I think there are role-playing games where you could make that sort of character choice and it would pay off narratively, but D&D can't do that. So I don't know how yeah, I talk about the like... sessions, but he just failed miserably. It's about sort of prioritising like, oh, no. flavour and character stuff yeah. over mechanics when I think also you can still use the mechanics to your advantage and maybe not impose disadvantage on yourself, but give the impression that the characters feeling that emotion or whatever without having to fully impose <laughs> massively. I mean, you know, obviously it depends, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... Again, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, those kind of choices, I wasn't necessarily used to those when Ed started playing. And I think as we went on, and particularly because of the pandemic and things, it was... I just wanted everybody to... You know, I always wanted everybody to have fun, but I think I got a lot looser with the rules as we mm. went on, where I was like actually why like why do I care about this as much as I do it really shouldn't matter and so I was like if people want to try cool shit that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of physics we're in a magical fantasy realm that's fine and if people want to try crazy stuff then absolutely and so yeah I think you know the whole thing of the particular choices that Ed made there were mechanics for it and things and then it was the thing of like him injuring his leg and him wanting to role play that but obviously with the long rest you get all your hit points back so there isn't necessarily the capacity for that. So yeah, you know, I think just as time went on, I, to blow my own trumpet a little bit, became a better DM and probably would have been able to do that better than when we first had those kind of choices around. But yeah, so, you know, I think it's one of those things that you live and learn, as you say, Catherine, and it's the nature of role-playing games and games in general and life in general, that you are always learning and developing and adjusting and hopefully getting better at those kind of things. Mm. Yeah, really quick question. Did any of you have a backup PC in case you died? No, because I love making characters so much. If I <laughs> yeah. died, I had to have the joy of being able to make a new character to counteract the sadness of having a PC die. <laughs> that makes sense. And if I made one, I would love it so much and want to play it that I'd be really sad if I didn't die. And that would be really weird. And I didn't want that to be 
yeah i was i mean i know you are a character hoarder catherine i know you do like to do them but i don't think i've ever created character not like properly rolled them up unless it was for a specific you uh, tapping your microphone is uh, yeah, sorry, that's <laughs> like, yeah. here's my ASMR. It's really clean audio, Jess. Thanks. <laughs> just to clarify, Jess, I haven't ever made a character not for a game. Yeah. I don't just make characters in my free time without having a reason. I think that's fine. I a hundred percent have. Yeah. I would, but I'd find it frustrating not having a game to play them in. That's all. Yeah, I think that'll be my reaction in the I'll be like, oh, I want to play this one. Because I think you can get distracted by shiny new things. Yeah. And especially as Simon was mentioned about Lorethel and stuff, most of our characters we made when we were quite new and early to D&D. You make choices of the characters where you're like, oh, wait, is that limiting? Yeah. I really enjoyed playing Juniper. And I wouldn't say she's particularly one note as such, but she does have a few baseline responses and reactions to things, which as things get more dramatic can be hard to balance with and still sort of stay true to the envisioning and just being like, oh, okay, mm, how does that work? Mm, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I have a related question to that. Let me just see yeah. what my one was. Oh, I did see you put that question in the chat. If that's the same no, thing. no, uh, and just a more generic, we can, we can come to that one there, Jess. Um, <laughs> so how did each of you find playing a character for five to six years? Were there any learning experience from doing it? And would you do it again? Obviously, the two of you don't have, <laughs> but I mean, I'm kind of asking about your first characters, I think, because that was still quite a long time. Hmm. Yeah, it was quite. Well, we should, do you, Simon and Adam want to go first because they, they did their characters the longest? Yeah, I have strange feelings about it because it's very solidly yes and no for reasons that we've sort of just touched upon. I guess, first of all, no, I wouldn't do it again because there's so many different things that I'd like to try with it. So many different characters, so many different scenarios and campaigns and things, which I think would be interesting to touch upon, that doing more short form things would allow for that. I think there's fun to be had there. But on the other side of things, yeah, it was really nice to keep returning to that character and to have that foundation to build upon over all those years, especially because when we started this, barring the beginners campaign that we did, it was the first campaign we'd done, the mm. first characters we did. You know, we never mind getting to grips with the characters, we were getting to grips with how the game worked. So it was lovely to have that foundation and be able to look back at how you've grown as players along with the characters. I feel like it would be brilliant to have the opportunity to do that again and set off with a character that you're going to stick with for that long, already having that experience. Because with Laurafell, I feel like the thing that I let Laurafell down with that, because I took a long time to find my feet, as I said in the previous answer, I struggled to balance the character with the mechanics. And I think part of that was unfamiliarity with the mechanics and how I could knit it together but approaching it again knowing a lot more about all of that sort of thing I think you could start off with a better sense of who they are and be able to look back and refer back to events and decisions two three four years down the line and have them be consistent with what you want them to be rather than getting along the line and then having to cover and retcon and logic away things that you regret with them yeah, nice to have the opportunity, but... Mm. Yeah, following on from that, there were so many times in the past 18 months to two years of playing as Elsie where me as a player would have a revelation moment and be like, oh my God, this connects to this. 
oh my god but I then couldn't express that because Elsie wouldn't know that and I think that's something that I would have liked to have changed if I'd been able to is that Elsie had maybe been because I don't regret completing this as Elsie by any means because she has been very fun and I think she was a great way to come back to it but especially when we got into nitty-gritty moments or we were reconnecting with people within the campaign that we've met before but Elsie hadn't or had had very little experience with them but me as a player was like oh but it's this and it's that and oh my god you know but yeah I think it's very similar veins to what Simon said I think it's been really rewarding doing the journey as a whole and having that time away and coming back but coming back as someone different and seeing like you said Michael is I think I noticed during that break the changes that you had made as a DM and that you had loosened the rails a little bit and not been so, oh, but the book says we do this now or you're not dead, you know. So I think I'd be quite happy doing an eight to ten episode campaign or something, you know, so not just a one shot where you do have enough time to be able to approach a new character again but with some time but six years is a long time Mm. and I think because we were such a group of interesting different characters that did make it more enjoyable I think so yeah I suppose you're the interesting one Catherine because from the beginning you are still the same character that you were when we first started it essentially the one that's been playing their character the longest that's true. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> because yeah. obviously Jess and Ed are not far behind you, but there was at least, what, 10 sessions, if not more, on top of that. Yeah, only surviving member of Yeah, only surviving member of Team Alpha, Erebor <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I would quickly add to both mine and Adam's answers, if I may, is that I, I think you can tell how much of an effect scheduling has on that sort of thing. I feel like the time frame of years isn't really the deciding factor. Mm. It's the time frame between sessions. And I don't know about anybody else, but I found it very difficult when we'd had a large break between individual sessions to come back and give it an honest shot. I feel like you can probably tell when you listen back that everybody warms up over the course of those two or three hours. And I'd wager that the final hour and a half of each episode is a lot more well done than the first hour and a half of each episode because we're trying to remember what happened last time what happened three four years ago and getting back into that headspace of the character you know when you start an episode sort of in media res what was my character doing last combat round or when we were just in that room before we walked through the door and ended the episode which is moments and yet also five weeks it's 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 scheduling none of us could have done anything about it but I feel like it's those breaks between the individual ones which I think have more of an effect on how you can maintain and improve your character yeah what did you just say Catherine I missed that I just said that's why I make notes Simon (laughs) (laughs) I literally at the end if if we're midway through combat I'll make a note being like remember to do this because I normally have a plan for the next Mm. or perhaps Luke can't read and write (laughs) and then you've also forgotten to read and write because you're that into character yeah. Just like, yeah. 
agree with it. Yeah, I mean, going back to long-term playing a character, I think part of it is to do with the character creation, like you said, Simon, and foundations in that if you want a character for long-term use, it is better to build it into the foundations of who they are or at least leave some wiggle room. And if you do go for maybe some novelty, maybe not too far in the novelty... (laughs) Let's grind you, but I probably have a little bit more interesting perspective because to my teenage shame, I used to be very involved in text role play on sort of forums. So did I journal. It was my time. So I would say Juniper might now be my longest role play character. I'm so pleased, Catherine, that we're in the same boat. Maybe we played together as what if? anonymous usernames. As on the yeah. Well, oh God. Um, but what if you um, were lovers? But if we were lovers, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, but yeah, but my lot but before we started, I'd already as a teenager role played a character for what about four and a half years maybe so I have done that sort of long that's very committed role play yeah it was a good time you know mine was Um, generally about two weeks yeah (laughs) my attention span hasn't changed yeah no it was some good stuff all lost all the websites have gone now I mean I was a teenager so it was objectively bad but it was a good time yeah so Catherine how do you feel about it then I think the thing I find most fascinating about it is that these characters, or at least I suppose definitely my character, have been a consistent presence in the last five to six years of my life, which has changed massively. You know, if you think back to where each of us was when we first started Mm. playing, you know, depending on when obviously people came in at different points, but the huge life changes that we've all been through, but yet these characters, for the most part, have all stayed consistent. I find that really, really interesting. And I think, to be honest, the thing I struggled with the most was probably juggling multiple characters when I've been playing in different campaigns. Mm. And like Simon was saying, you know, having gaps in between, figuring out how to come back to that. I have struggled with and still struggle with the consistency of role play. And I feel quite insecure about, am I just making the same characters with slightly different appearances or a different class or whatever? And to some extent, I've just accepted that that's what I enjoy doing. (laughs) But... If you're going from one character that you've maybe played a little bit more regularly for one month and then suddenly we're coming back to play this one and then I'm like, oh, but hang on, are my decisions, actually the decisions of this other character, they're all blending together. That's really tricky. Mm. But I don't know, I think there's moments of reassurance, like for sure when we were getting to the end game of this campaign and I think it helps that those last few episodes were fairly close together. Like you said, Michael, everything just kind of fitted together for me. At no point did I ever really have a crisis of, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I just dropped my phone on the table. Oh, no. <laughs> it sounded yeah, like think... you farted and spooked yourself. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was rolling a dice. I thought it sounded like a, a microphone buzz. But yeah, at no point did I ever think, oh, is this me making the decision? Is it the character? When it came down to that final bit... It all felt very authentic to this specific character rather than yeah. like any of the many other characters that I've played, which is interesting. But one, that's because we played it more regularly. Two, I don't think I was playing in any other campaigns at the time. Maybe one other one. You were um, playing in our solo campaign. Yes, but I kind of think that's easier to separate because it's solo campaign is, I don't know, I find that's different. But yeah, I think also just because of the stakes, you know, the way the narrative was working. In a way, bigger decisions are kind of easier to make 
the yeah. small ones. Sometimes the decisions that I find hardest are just, do I interrupt this NPC from talking to say, no, let us through the gate or whatever. That kind of thing is harder for me than do I become a god to save the universe? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Simon, you've raised your hand. Yes. If we're ready for the next question, yeah. I don't want to interrupt. Oh, well, if, as long um, as Catherine's finished. Yeah. Great. Yeah. As the crocodile is to Captain Hook, the Abeloth was to Laurafel. <laughs> Did you have any plans to bring the Abeloth back? Or indeed, were there any influences that I completely missed? Well, I mean, the Abeloth nearly came through at Fort Argent when there was the water portal going on and there was water leaking everywhere and Laurafel saw and heard mm the shadow and the voice and then you sealed the portal before it could get through mm. so it could have come there and it would have been real bad because obviously <laughs> there was all the stuff going on with the moths and everything at the same time and zarvan and it was just a clusterfuck of things and then obviously there was that portal that they were using energy from and if you'd have had to fight the abeleth it would have been interesting because it would have been in shallow water which is not necessarily where it would have been a great advantage but they're pretty powerful things and if you were on your own so that would have definitely been an issue. Yeah. So, you know, there were a couple of times where it was like, maybe we bring it back, but it just, again, didn't fall that way. But I don't think there's anything that you missed in terms of that, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's another one, which the ooze that Juniper found in the sewer that she made a pet of, and then she got in the water and it washed away. Oh, yeah, that was sad. That could have been real bad. That was Ooh, a, that was really a good. grey ooze. And if you'd kept it, it would have grown exponentially <laughs> and it could have dissolved all of you. Perfect. It's like a... Oh, man. Speaking of being dissolved, what was everybody's fate in the bad timeline? <laughs> and what, what, what? what a segue that was. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that question. I knew oh, that. yeah, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me. But I'm interested about everybody else, not just Juniper, because I assume it being the bad timeline, most people didn't get. I think you did mention a, one or two people, hmm, maybe, what happened to them. But yes, I would like an outline of everyone's horrific fates, please. Oh, wait, remind me, the bad timeline. I can't remember when this came up. So this is the timeline Avalor had where she blinted off and met everybody. Because I couldn't make it to one session. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that became... Did Catherine miss Piss Legs the Vulture? Yes, that yeah. was the one that was, she missed. Uh, yeah. That was a joke. Uh, every time you bring that up, I'm like, excuse me? Uh, piss Legs <laughs> the because... The so reason is, yeah, that Jess okay, he's my favourite character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vultures, if they're too hot, they piss on their legs to cool themselves. That makes a lot of sense. And, and Jess was... brought this up. And so I was like, well, Jess has brought that up. She yeah. plays Juniper. So the title has to be The Ballad of This Legs the Vulture. <laughs> Absolutely. Because the air court were on giant vultures. And yeah. to be honest, though, I think if you're going to ask my favourite moment, it would be naming Piss Legs the Vulture. I can't believe I wasn't there for your favourite moment yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, genuinely <laughs> makes me quite sad. Well, should we put a pin in favourite moments? Because that is yeah. one of my other questions, yeah. and I'm probably a few of yours as well. Yeah. But yeah, so what was there? What were we talking about? I've it's lost everyone's the fate. The bad, bad, bad yes. timeline. Sorry, bad completely lost the thread there. Yeah, I think <laughs> there were various moments where Catherine and I were like, <laughs> Juniper and Thelios died. They tried to go and face the air cult in their temple alone because Lorethel had died separately and appeared being weighed on the scales of fate. Oh, yeah, that was um, a whole thing. Simon. Yeah, that was a whole thing in the afterlife. We were floating around. How did he do? <laughs> 
not well. good. Uh, not good. And so Juniper and Thelios were the only ones left. And would, Such a motley crew. Yeah, yeah, and we're like, well, do we finish this, even though we're vastly yeah. outnumbered? And so they tried and they died. The moral was basically, you better get back to your timeline, because if you don't get back, then everyone else dies. Yeah. That's not a moral, that's an ego trip. <laughs> <laughs> but the slight issue is that it was quite a gruesome death. Correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, but I think Juniper was impaled. Yeah. And... Felios, a tiny body. That's yeah, and Felios, I think, was rent in half. Ooh, well, that um, okay, no, I'll take you. It was a long time ago, but yeah, it was not good. And then Flint, because I'm not sure you'd met oh, yeah. him yet by that point. Errolor hadn't met him yet. He was a barman in Luskin, Under Mountain. Um, oh, I thought it was in the Undermountain. No, it was in Luskin. It was up in the pirate city. Oh, yeah. But with the guy from the Undermountain. Yes, Milo. Milo was like this crime kingpin in one of the last holdouts against the air cult. And Flint was just this bartender. So, yeah, that was what happened to everybody else. So Flint obviously had the worst day. (laughs) (laughs) Hospitality. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) took forever. He had to run Erelor's pub to all of her... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for all eternity oh well i'm glad i died by your side adam yes yeah, yeah. and you full on knew that juniper had died didn't you from catherine oh, Byer's reactions oh, no. well it was dead or something very dark yeah. like as in like gone full lich or back with the father and you know it was going to be something obviously i got it was bad but yeah yeah, yeah. man it was so difficult knowing all of that stuff and the character not knowing it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it came late, the memories and all that. You know, it was a long time before we actually... But, like, having played the little side story and the point of it being get back home, go and destroy the air cult, all of that stuff, and then doing that, like, getting... And then, because we were parallel playing the main story and we didn't know how that was ending while I was playing this one. And then when we did finish that and I was still playing this one, I was like okay, well, I know that her whole purpose was to get back to solve this issue, but she doesn't know that. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I think you did an incredible job of holding those two things as separate as you could, because as a player, when you have knowledge that your character doesn't have, it's very difficult not to let that bleed through. And I think you did an amazing job of that because there was times where a character would come in and you'd be like, I know this person, but Errolord doesn't at the moment or there was a detail where you like wait and there were times where you would look at me and I would go and you would be like but I can't say anything because I don't yeah 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 and you did such a good job thanks Adam you've got your hand up yes my question is kind of following on from that did you ever have the desire or the thoughts to do mini one-off solo sessions with any of the rest of us so that not that it was just such a one-off because of Catherine's absence that then became something else or once you did that did that then make you go well actually this might be quite interesting to add in some other aspects for other people as well you know did that thought ever cross your mind honestly I can't say that it did I think the main reason for that would be that I was already running this campaign and it was taking a lot to schedule it Mm -hmm. and so the idea of then running individual campaigns for more than one person even though Catherine's one lasted 
14, maybe 15 sessions. I can't remember. Just felt like a nightmare to me, (laughs) genuinely. I mean, you know, running multiple campaigns is great fun. I like doing it and I like doing individual campaigns. I think it is really different to the group dynamic. But the fact that people weren't necessarily free at certain points and the party stuck together it didn't really make sense for us to then run off and do something else. And because you've written backstories and we kind of developed them together, it was this whole thing of like, okay, what's the point of us exploring that? We Mm. know what happened already, you know, and I know that some people like doing that kind of thing and going back as a prequel and all that kind of stuff. And I would be really interested to do that with particular characters in like a session 0.1 idea for people. But I think with a party of this size and with a party that varied as much as it did, it just would have been a logistical nightmare. And I think there's stuff that Elsie could have done that would have been interesting. You know, there's stuff that everybody could have done that would have been interesting. But again, it's the thing of scheduling, planning, putting all of those pieces together and then remembering all of it for the campaign, I think just would have broken my brain a little bit too much. Because I think about D&D a lot. I think about plot lines a lot. I tease out what works and things. And the whole thing of, you know, I've told Catherine this already, Errolor being becoming known as the goddess era i had that idea like a year and a half ago and it was one of those moments of going hang on i'm planning for her to become the new god of time if she accepts catherine came up with this character name way before any of the timey-wimey stuff came in and somehow her name truncated works within this line of thinking and i love doing things like that and i love little payoffs and all this sort of stuff simon you were picking up on things where it was like talking about Herolia's Hall and things in, in the more recent stuff and going, hang on, that was first mentioned when Ed first came in and my face and people commented and be like, look at Michael's face, look at how much he's enjoying the fact that he's doing this. It's genuine feeling of going, yeah, I've planned this. This is the payoff. This is where this was leading all the way. And none of it's necessary detour. It all feeds into it, hopefully, and it all makes sense. And it's really satisfying from my perspective for us to get there. And obviously, if I'd been doing other campaigns for other people, that could have worked as well. But I think the nature of error laws meant that doing it for other people's would have been quite tricky because it was the whole thing of the timeline being the crux. If it was other stuff, then it would have had to been set before or after the campaign. Yeah. But we didn't set out for that to be the purpose of the, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was that I missed a session. And yeah. because of the wild magic, you were like, the door disappears. And yeah. then I feel like we maybe had a chat where we were like, I wonder what happened. Where'd you go? We yeah. Like, oh, well, we could maybe try that. And then it, and then, I mean, obviously you came up with the the time stuff from there, but, but it was meant to be a very small, meanwhile kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, came. I think we said, oh yeah, it'll be like maybe two or three sessions. Yeah. And then we got to the end of that and we were like, we're nowhere near the end, are we? Like what's going but on? Like, certainly from my perspective, I never thought that would impact this story. No. No, I thought it was just going to be a little side thing that we did that didn't actually have any carryover. Yeah. Okay. Favourite moments? It's like sorted. Yeah. Jess's answer, locked in. Locked in. I'll put 100 on piss eggs, please. It's really difficult to remember stuff for five to six years. Yeah. All the stuff in my head is just from the last four months. (laughs) It it could be from that. That's fine. Yeah, but then I feel like I'm doing a disservice to maybe some earlier stuff. But Okay, while you think on that then... This is kind of an ego thing for me, just this line of questioning. Favourite NPC? Probably that guy with the great voice that I always told you I liked. I can't even remember what his name was. He was the guy and he, had, he gave me a nickname. I can't remember what his name was. 
He gave you a nickname. Yeah. Oh, and gosh. he died. Do you mean Milo? No, no, I don't think it was Milo. Maybe you didn't really, Milo. You didn't really meet him for that long, I don't think. But He died like lying next to me. And then I used the nickname back to him to comfort him, even though he was a bad guy. Maybe it was Milo. Maybe it was. Because he did the proper sort of rough Cockney voice. Yeah, it was definitely Cockney. Yeah, so it must have been Milo then, because the only other yeah. sort of vaguely Cockney one was Hawkins, and he was still alive yeah. at the end. I actually really liked the Black Star. Mm. She was in it more. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of fun, probably Milo. I always liked my back and forth with Hobblenocky, as I call him, because I always just quite liked his dynamic with Helios, because they were just such polar opposites and that was just quite nice to be playful with that yeah that makes sense i mean another missed opportunity i think i've told catherine this around the time but if Thelios had continued i had an idea to introduce a character who would turn up a few times and be a rival who was just like a fuckwit you know would challenge him in the street and it's based off a character in the witcher 3 video game who does it to Geralt and Geralt just hands him his ass every time and I just love the idea of this really pompous up himself guy in armor that's never been used just being like sir you looked at me wrong therefore I shall challenge you to a duel and then Thelios is just like kicking him in the ass and then him coming up and and being stronger every time yeah but Thelios being like is that what I'm like and you know that I just really but as you said you kind of had that with Hobblenock as well but I just love the idea of this really really pompous asshole and Thelios being like dude like come on you're not you know I've got God on my side like this isn't going to work terribly well yeah (laughs) Uh, Catherine you've got your hand up I just changed my mind my favorite (laughs) was Starfy obviously oh well you stole mine Catherine get out of here Share my favourite NPC, Jess. Okay, just this time. We have the same taste in lots of other things. That's true. Embrace it. Yes, we should embrace it. Thank you, Catherine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Stuffy, great. Yeah. (laughs) Did you suspect about Stuffy in terms of what they were or? No, I mean, it was a bit suspect in general, but not that specific guess, no. Yeah. So just to clarify... Because I obviously looked into who the previous owner of Starfy was. Mm -hmm. Was the previous owner the infinite? No. So the whole thing of when you found Starfy, it was in the White Dragon's cave. Yeah. And the previous owner was holding the staff over their knee as if they were going to crack it, which was a last resort thing. But they didn't have the chance before they were frozen solid. The mage who was holding the staff at that point was one of the people who had sealed the infinite away. And so they got to the point where they were so desperate, they were so in danger of dying that they were like, I have to release this aspect because I know that the staff will break. Yes, Starfy will be released, but it's the most innocent part of the infinite. It's his childhood self. In order to save my life, it was one of those really weighted decisions of like, I need to save my life. And maybe that's not the best option in terms of the world. But that was his thinking. And so Starfy was always intended to be an aspect of the infinite that would then go on. And then obviously when you broke the staff, it was the thing of like, oh, okay, that's great. And it was such a powerful magical item that obviously it changed a lot of things and it really made Erelor incredibly powerful. And so for you to break the staff was very significant and really interesting. But yeah, it was always the plan that he was part of that. And then the mage that was with him was one of the ones who had dealt with the infinite and sealed him away into the different objects. Simon, have you said yours? Have you got one? 
Now, the problem is I have a really bad memory. So I can't think of my one favourite. I'll probably think of it in about six hours' time and shoot up in bed like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. But the ones that stuck out were just the ones where you had the most fun playing them, I think, like Elsie's dad. <laughs> oh, Byron. Elsie's dad was, was always so fun. much fun. I think it's the ones where I have most fun, but it's also the ones where like, I can see you all reacting to them in a really positive way that genuinely gives me energy because you want your players to be receptive to it you want them to engage with the characters and so if you're making a big choice like Byron was you Mm. want the reaction to be positive rather than it to be like oh god this guy oh no I felt Elsie's embarrassment of her father Mm. you know (laughs) I felt that child being embarrassed of their parent emotion when you were being Byron and it was just like oh my god what is this (laughs) it was just an opportunity to go full west country pirate absolutely and you you don't miss that opportunity you can't (laughs) yeah I'm sure I will think of one but I genuinely just have a really bad memory for it but yeah there's like little ones like that or Farallin I really enjoyed how you played Farallin Mm. and how that's interesting completely unexpected because if I remember I'd given a name mm-hmm. but beyond that I can't even remember if I was expecting her to, well no I wasn't expecting her to have a turn up yeah because she was meant to be dead or otherwise out of the picture but yeah and I thought she was really nicely built and then obviously had a life beyond Laura Fell as well which is nice to see going way back I remember enjoying was it a giant there was a giant or something back in the vein of the eye where we had to sneak past it playing chess or something. Oh yeah, um, no, there was, was there that? were two. It was two giants who were playing tic tac toe. That was playing noughts and crosses. Yes. Yeah, that was from the book actually. But yeah, obviously playing them. Little ones like that and the mud elemental, which we only have a five minute thing with, but they just stick out as just really interesting and well done. <laughs> Least favorite NPC. Probably Farallin near the end. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I answer all you think? Yeah, someone else go. Again, I don't know if there's any one that stands out as a worst. I think that would be cruel. But I think the NPC type that I enjoyed least was the ones who, as a necessity of their character, were quite standoffish. Mm. I feel like it was fun and easier to role-play and progress conversations or progress the scene with characters who would sort of yes and there were some characters who were sort of higher status i can't remember maybe perhaps manchun from recent memory but possibly some of the more stubborn villains or city officials or whatever going back where they would be difficult to talk to we were trying to get information from and they wouldn't want to answer us and we wouldn't know how to twist their arm and when we couldn't find that trigger to get them on our side or get what we needed and maybe that was our fault for sticking with those people too long and you know trying to I think some of it was the roles as well because obviously trying to get the last bit out of the bottle that wasn't there yeah but you have to roll persuasion checks and all that sort of stuff and if things don't go well it's like the standoffish guards you know where it's just you're trying to can you point me in the direction that I need to go to no I'm doing my job and it probably means that they're working because I suppose they're meant to be creative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I know there were some times where it was like, well, that was a really frustrating and pointless conversation. And it was partly down to roles. It was partly down to the questions that we asked. But yeah, I think I agree with you to a similar degree on that. Oh, and Elsie's sister. 
<laughs> Maud. Oh, poor Maud. <laughs> Fucking hated Maud. <laughs> she only wanted to love you. <laughs> Why did you hate her? Oh, God, just because she was creeping. <laughs> But honestly, Simon, and this is probably me bleeding into the character. One of the funnest things for me as a DM is flirting with you <laughs> because you just were like, no, I don't want to deal with it. And we kind of did it a few times. There was that Harper woman early on where it was like, oh, yeah, Lorethel thinks this is going well. And then it turned out that she was a spy and she wasn't interested. And the sense of betrayal that I felt from you at once, I was like, oh, no, I've betrayed my friend. He's genuinely hurt by this. But also one of those things of like, oh, but I really liked that twist of her just being like, oh, honey, you thought this was real? Like you catfished me. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, no, I can understand that about Maud. She's deliberately irritating. Elsie to the nth degree, if that makes sense, because they are sisters, but she is the worst sister, definitely. Um, Catherine, Jess, do you have? Yeah, Oh, yeah, you yeah, said yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? Is it just because of how she was acting or? Yeah, I think I just found her quite arrogant. Mm. Yeah. She just obviously, you know, it was the right buttons to press to annoy me, I guess. Yeah. Because it was literally just her personality, I guess. Yeah. But only after. Not when we first met her. No, it was under the influence of the infinite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think for me to dislike a character, it would probably be one I can't even remember because I would have disliked them because they weren't notable. Oh, yeah. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Because at least if somebody's annoying me, then that gives you something to work off of as a character and you've got friction there. Whereas, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But maybe I remember them all. And I I don't (laughs) know. No, I probably not. It's been six years. (laughs) Shall we do... Quick fire favorite moments. Yeah. I go first because mine's easy because we talked about it. I think I'm going to go with the last session. Aww. I just thought it was a really nice roundup. And yeah. And it's also recently in my memory. So I <laughs> remember that I enjoyed it. Convenient. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily the bit where I had to speak to each of you individually and yeah. give you a gift and all that stuff. Yeah, just, that, was, that took a turn. That, that was like, it, it was, you could see it in your eyes where you're like, wait, do I have to do this with everyone? Oh, dear. I have okay. made a grave error. <laughs> but you did it to us and I like, looked over us like, okay, bye. bye. <laughs> I go oh. become God now. I go become God now. Yeah, I think it was my favourite moment because it was so easy because of yeah. what we talked about earlier yeah i'm still gonna stick with piss legs okay yeah i piss think legs. just i think just because it shows why i like dnd in that it is a very stupid game yeah it is a ridiculously stupid game you can have some very serious moments and those moments are also good and great but it is also incredibly stupid and that's why i enjoy it yeah, yeah. to say that dan had started off that episode as a potted plant everybody's claiming that they were the potted plant and i'm very confused i feel like i need to go back and listen to that episode (laughs) because i'm pretty sure it was daniel i've also done it because flint peed in me and wild magic table so this is the 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 first potted plant where we were at the village pub and then we traveled to waterdeep and remembered when we got there that we'd left the plant behind (laughs) so was was there more than one yeah. Because I feel like Flint only peed in one... I, oh, this was, this was ages ago. This yeah. was pre, that was pre-Flint. Yeah. It may have happened more than once then. I've just amalgamated them. Okay, really quick fire. Favourite villain? I don't like villains. That's why they're villains. The, <laughs> but what the was your favourite one to face? 
the bones puzzle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never, see. You're never going to let me lift that down, are you? <laughs> I like the wilderness as a concept. Okay. I thought they're very interesting. I also did enjoy Juniper's father's passive aggressive relationship and overbearingness. Interesting thing about Juniper's father's name as well that I don't think came up ever. Kibridur comes from the Welsh. It's kind of a weird amalgamation for corgi breeder. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> so many right. I really enjoyed very OG sessions with Vanifer and Bastion. All of that stuff with the fire cult and the penis tower and all of that yeah, kind of back and forth. There were just some moments during those interactions and the role for persuasions and things like that. And I felt that, to be punny, I felt there were some uh, character interactions where we really were just on fire and the roles were right, the responses were right. And it was just like, oh my God, how is this working? How are we where we are after that? So Vanifer and Bastion, I'd say. I think one of my favourites was that Fae spirit thingy by the lake. Oh, the Echo Nymph. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It wasn't just a fight, it was a... No, yeah. The the Echo Nymph was a personal creation, a variation on a nymph. But it was the whole idea of the Echo and Narcissus myth. One of my favourite things about Adam is putting him in situations where he's not fully in control because it's just so great. And the way that Adam deals with things is so interesting. And so when that happened and the roles were just going against you and there were just so many of them and I was like, oh, and then obviously you just come back into the campaign and with this new character. And then it was the thing of, is Adam going to have to play this nymph pretending to be Elsie? Because I think there would have been some interesting character choices if you had then had, I would have given you a new character. You know, it would have changed a lot. And then obviously Maud was around. It's whether you would have gone and got her and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I really like the Echo Nymph as a concept. Again, slightly blowing my own trumpet, but I just, it was one of those things of going like, oh, this could be amazing and terrible. Okay. Favourite fight? (laughs) Uh, any where somebody pulled something so spectacular and unexpected out of the bag. I so will... the infinite fight. Well, yeah. let's do it. Like, <laughs> I love the maybe unintentional combo that we did where we blasted away the wall and then knocked them over the edge. But also when Charlotte just bear punted the Earth Prince. Oh my <laughs> God! <laughs> That was such a close thing as well, because then I think all of you were really quite injured. Oh, um, God, yeah. If she'd not done that, we yeah. would have gone it. Yeah, and that's why the episode was called Barely Made It, because it was just, if that hadn't have happened, I think it could have been a TPK. I genuinely do. And as an extended fight, the whole expedition through the high forest to Ardrathan. I thought mm. all of that, that whole story, I mean, that was my favourite moment. That whole approach, which lasted a few episodes and really built up the anticipation. Like, the way that we had to go through the wildlife, the guerrilla warfare with the orcs. And yes. then we arrive at the city and there's that unexpected moment of, oh, what the hell? And it, it all blended together into something quite special. And I just liked when Lorothel fought that giant centipede because you really hated the centipede. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Never tell me your fears. Uh, you were like, no, it was a good time. I really enjoyed that. It was a good time. I, slightly personally, but I really enjoyed one of the dragon battles. I think 
at the end of the Undermountain mm-hmm. and Thelio's misty stepping like boop, 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 boop. Yeah, that was cool. Because again, everybody else was pretty injured and yeah, it could have gone really badly again. Mm. Then that's when it then flew off, didn't it? And yeah, then... yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, I think in terms of you guys telling me your fears and all that sort of stuff, by the end, I had betrayed you so many times that I really feel like you were like, we don't trust Michael. And so the, the short rest that you took at the top of the mountain where you were like, what is in Herolia's Hall? There's going to be something. Yeah. This isn't the end. There's going to be another fight. And I was just like, Okay. And it was just one of those things of like, okay, you know, there isn't, but I completely understand why you're doing this to the point that I just utterly eroded your trust as a DM where you're just like, been a fight if we decided to. Oh, yeah, there might have been. I mean, yeah, yeah, there might have been. But yeah, in a weird, slightly perverse way, it's one of those things of going, yeah, I feel like I've done my job as a DM where Mm. you're just cautious. Because you're like, what's he going to pull now? Because Michael does those sort of things at the end. Oh, and the fight against all of the black goo-infected stampede outside of the... Oh, yeah, that was a good one. That might be one of my favourites, yeah. That had Game of Thrones vibes. I think that might be one of the first ones which we did, which was a battle. Mm. Like, the scope of that is very vivid in my memory. Yeah, and I think it was kind of around the same time that the whole Game of Thrones thing was kicking off in terms of the White Walkers coming through and all that. It was kind of a similar weird time where they kind of coalesced. Yeah, hadn't it been Um, like Battle of the Bastards or something? Yeah, something like that. And obviously, Catherine, you'd sort of said in your backstory and then when Game of Thrones was coming out you were like yeah I've, I've seemingly accidentally written Game of Thrones into my backstory <laughs> and I was like it's fine you did it separately it's not a problem yeah. and yeah the walls of fire and all that kind of stuff and the wilderness in general that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask but we've not got time is like what Catherine you thought was up on the high ice and all that sort of stuff and I wanted to ask Ed what he thought was in the Undermountain one of his questions was how early in the campaign did I decide what Flint had set free and it was fairly early in the campaign that we went there so I had to think of and again it was the thing of I really like linking people's backstories so that they kind of cross over but you don't necessarily know that that's going to happen and that your reactions to those backstories are maybe going to cause conflict but not in a terrible way because I don't really like inter-party conflict where it's like the party breaks up immediately but it's like oh how do we feel about this this thing that I did has kind of affected your life to such a degree, what do we do? Right, final question, Catherine. Yes, this is a question for you. Okay. If you could meet yourself right before the first session of this campaign, what would you say? Oof. I mean, I'm guessing, Catherine, you mean like D&D related, because I feel like... Don't date this person. Um, uh, uh... Well, I've also went the global <laughs> pandemic, but yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I don't care about that. I don't coin. But yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I don't know. That's such a huge question. Like you said, our lives have changed so much in that time. I think D D is so incredibly important to me now and has been for such a long time. And it helps me with my mental health. It helps me with my friendships and I've loved so much that we've been able to do this together and create this story together that I genuinely love and think we did really well. I think probably a slightly simple answer would just be relax a little bit, not necessarily in terms of the rules straight off, although that is part of it. I think it's that thing of it took me a long, long time and a lot of conversations with you, Catherine, to 
realize that it didn't matter if we didn't touch on stuff or if we missed stuff because I'm the only one that knows that and so if we don't get to a point where I wanted us to get or you miss a room or whatever and like there was another thing where in the archividium I don't know if you remember there were some voices that you heard in one of the rooms that Lucan was in and you didn't investigate that and that was fine but that was going to be Archie and Vidium, who were the AIs that were controlling the Archividium, who were squabbling with each other and had been since they were created. It's a silly character thing. It doesn't really inform the story. And it took me a long, long time. And you actually actively saying to me, yeah, but you're the only one who knows that we didn't get to something or we missed it. And you can rework it into the story later if it's relevant. And one of the hardest things that I found is not being able to talk to you guys about where I was going or what I was planning for your characters and whether that was okay and what you wanted really because there are moments where obviously some of you came to me and you were like it'd be really nice if I could do this I was thinking about this and you know Catherine in our endless conversations about D&D it's the thing of can we talk about that element I'm not sure this is working how do you think you know but yeah, I don't. That's a really, really difficult question. It's a really good question. But yeah, I think it would be trust yourself and trust your friends that you can make this enjoyable, that you can continue to do this for a, a long time, that people are turning up because they're not bored, they want to do it, and everybody's here to have fun, and that's okay. If the role goes wrong or if something doesn't quite go how you were expecting, it's really not the end of the world. You can change the game in such a way that it still works and everybody is there and putting the investment in for the same reason, which is to have fun and create a story that we can hold dear for hopefully a very long time. Yeah, I think that would be it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, this was a lot of fun, hopefully, for our listeners as much as it was for us. Um, Yeah, that's basically the end of this endeavor forever we're not going to record stuff again this is the end of roll up because it takes up a lot of time for me editing the episodes it doesn't mean that we're never going to play DD again certainly because i can't live without it now but thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it we know that we have a small following but we are so appreciative of those who do hi steve and mm-hmm. Thank you so much for keeping with it. Thank you so much for listening to it for so long. Thank all of you for trusting me with your characters and with your stories and building them alongside me. I really, really appreciate that. Adam, your reactions to things is like having a live audience member and I appreciate it so, so much. Your coming back into the campaign was so gratifying and so nice. And the fact that you trusted me to make a character for you was really pleasant. And I can completely understand your frustrations with Thelios. I share them in terms of us not getting to bring him through to the end. Simon, your incredible and quick sense of humour always made us really focus on what this game is, which is for fun. It's incredibly silly. It should be incredibly silly. And that doesn't negate the serious moments. It makes them more resonant, I think. And your levity and your wit and the boldness of your choices made this game so much better. And I am so grateful to you for that. Jess, your endless creativity and unbounded ideas are absolutely one of my favourite elements of this entire thing. And I am so, so proud of you. I am so proud that I can call you my friend. The big swings that you took with Juniper that paid off so well 
I really hope that you're as proud of them as you should be. And again, your irreverence in the face of some very serious odds and people being mean to this little fake Corgi yeah. was just so great. And Ed's commitment to character, to his own detriment, <laughs> was something that I hadn't anticipated and fed into a lot of us really focusing more on roleplay as a thing. Charlotte's sheer chaotic nature when approaching everything just led to so many fun things. And similarly, Dan's and the fact that he couldn't decide on a name and then was just like, I'm going by this name. And I was like, cool. And the brief time that we got with all of them, I wish that we could have had them for longer. Matt's mild bemusement at some things going on in the game, but his willingness to try and go for it and continue. I really, really appreciate And Catherine, your enthusiasm for everything about the game, our long conversations, the one-to-one campaign, your investment level in your characters, in the lore, in secrets, in little nibbly bits of weirdness and oddities, and your clear focus on holding me to account on particular things we're like well that doesn't make sense and me having to explain myself and characters having to explain themselves I think made the world a richer place and I think made it a more convincing place and I don't think that I would be half the DM I am or half the person I am without you and I am so so grateful to all of you so with that for the final time Everybody who wants to say bye, say bye. 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 Thank you. <laughs> bye. I'm Ed and I say bye. Bye. <laughs> Perfect impression. That was, that was solid. Perfect. That was really good. Is that Swedish? Yes. He is now. <laughs> okay. Bye, folks. <laughs>